Well, good morning. If you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. A uh, very familiar passage. This pulpit's not as big as the one at Tahlequah. I can't set my stuff out all how I like it. Uh, very familiar passage. And when you get there, you'll see that it is the passage of the parable of the prodigal son. Very familiar passage, very commonly preached passage. I do think maybe I'll share it in a slightly different way than you've heard it, or for sure than I've heard it before. Because uh, today I want to look at two wayward sons. Now, as I was studying this passage, uh, commentators really kind of take both sides on this message, whether this message be for the Christian or this message be for the lost. And as I read it, I kind of take the side of this is a message for the Christian. The couple reasons why is, one, it speaks of two sons, and if you are not a Christian, you are not a son, or you are not a child, a daughter of the Father, right? The Father in this story is a parable speaking of the Father, our God. And so it speaks of two sons, and I think that if you're a Christian, uh, if you're not a Christian, you're not considered a son, you're not considered a daughter, a child of God. But then also it speaks of a return, a prodigal that came back. And you cannot return to something that you've never turned to. And so I tend to kind of side that way, but I get both because it's a message for all, because you... Uh, may be here today and you maybe have never turned to Jesus for the first time, but you may find yourself in the same place that one of these two sons are in. And so it's a message for you because you can turn for the first time to Jesus, to the Father, and be saved. And so uh, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, I'm going to read it first and then we'll kind of break it down. It says, and he said, that's Jesus speaking, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent into his fields and he was sent into his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one would give him anything. But when he came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, and I sit and perish in hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great far off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let's eat and be merry. 
For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the, or his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he asked and said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, And he said, but he, was, or, and, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I could go and make marriage with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours come, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me. All I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Pray with me. Father, I just come to you and I just thank you for using me as your tool at Tahlequah Campus. As I sit here, I just ask that I would decrease, you would increase, and Lord, I ask that you would do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see two sons, two wayward sons. The first one, the commonly talked about one, the one that this passage maybe is more focused on, that's the youngest son or the prodigal. And I want to look at both of these two sons today and see just exactly where they are, and maybe you can find yourself uh, where one of the two are today. And so the first one, the youngest son, the prodigal, we see one, he wanted freedom. Verse 12 and 13 says, And the younger son came to his father and said, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided those to his livelihood, he divided them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions on prodigal living. See, he wanted to go his own way. He wanted to make his own choices. How many here have wanted to do their own thing? Man, I shared this, I used this point when I spoke to the college and uh, youth-age boys in Tennessee, and I said, man, come on, I've been to college, I've been a teenage boy, college-age boy. I wanted to do my own thing. I was ready to go make my own decisions. I was ready to go make my own choices, do my own thing, go my own way. And now that I'm older, I still want to do it. What am I talking about? It doesn't have nothing to do with being a young teenage or college age boy. I still have those times where, man, I want to do what I want to do. And so that's what he wanted. But the thing is, he wanted the benefit of having his blessing, but not have to live under his father's authority and under his father's rules. He said, hey, I want my freedom, but first, can I have a little something? You got something for me? I want my freedom, but first, can I have my inheritance? Can I have what's coming to me? Can I have my gift? Can I have that those blessings, God? Right? Can I have those things that's coming to me? And then after you give them to me, heck with you, I'm gone. I'm going to go use it how I see fit. I'm going to go use it uh, to make a name for myself. So I'm done living under your name. I want to make a name for me. And so he wanted freedom. He wants his blessings. He's pretty much saying to his father, I want my inheritance without having to have your presence. I want my inheritance more than I want your presence. I want my blessings. I want my gifts. I want what's coming to me more than I want you, Dad. That's what he's saying. And so he wanted freedom. 
And again, he had freedom so confused. Come on, we've been there. I'm sure multiple, I know I've been there. I think I'm, I think I got freedom, but I found out freedom ain't what I thought it was. I go and I'm trying to make my own decisions. I'm trying to do my own thing. And I realize it's getting me in worse bondage and worse uh, captivity than I ever thought I was. And that's what he found. He had freedom very confused. He thought freedom was being able to take the inheritance and go waste it on his flesh, on his wants, on his desires. But that wasn't it at all. And I love when the commentary that I read, a quote from it, says this, Freedom is not what our culture tells us it is. Freedom is not my deciding from the urges and longings of my sinful nature to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with whom I want to do it with. According to the Bible, that is bondage. And that's what this young man found out. Rather, true freedom is living as Jesus lived, for he is the freest human being who ever lived. And then it goes on to say here, Jesus' example of freedom is submitting fully to the will of God, to the words of God, and to the work that God calls us to do. That's freedom. And so this young prodigal, this youngest son, he wanted freedom, but what he figured out is when he got out there, when he got out of the Father's house, that is out of the will of God, there was way more bondage and captivity than freedom uh, ever was. And so he wanted freedom. And the truth is, freedom is with the Father. Freedom is in the Father's will, in God's will. And so today, if you're trying to search for freedom and you're saying, Hey, God, I want my gifts. I want my blessings. But you don't tell me how to use it uh, because I want to go and make my own choices. I want to go and do my own thing. Understand that that's going to find, you're going to find yourself way more in bondage and captivity than in freedom because you're making your own choices. Paul told it to the Galatians. He said, don't use your liberty in Christ. What is liberty? Don't use your freedom in Christ to feed the flesh. Rather, use it to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the will of God. And so he wanted freedom, but he had freedom very confused. Number two we see from this prodigal is that he was running. Verses 13, what did he do after the father gave him his inheritance, gave him his livelihood? He said, see ya, right? 13 through 15 says, And not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. But he, when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So, again, this is the prodigal, right? Prodigal definition. Spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully, it's extravagant. So, we don't know exactly what he uses it on. Big Brother throws us a couple ideas, maybe, later on in the passage when he says he wasted it on harlots, prostitutes. But we do know that he headed out, he said, see ya, and he was running away from the Father, that is the will of God, and he was running toward the world. The far country equals worldly living. He was headed out to the world. He was going maybe to find fame. He was running after fame. What was he running at? Fame. Maybe not some of the older people in this crowd, but the younger ones, the ones that I'm usually teaching, 
and it's very possible that he was just trying to find that platform on social media. More likes, more follows, more views. I'm trying to get noticed. I'm trying to, I want people to see me. I want people to see what I can do. I want people to see uh, that I'm relevant, that I have an influence. He's trying to seek fame. Maybe it was he was trying to seek fortune. He was going to take that money. Yeah, he had what his father gave him, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to turn it into more. It doesn't matter what I have to do. It doesn't matter how I have to do it. Greed took over and he said, I'm going to go make a, a fortune. I'm going to go build my finances and I'm going to, if I have to hurt people, if I have to stab people in the back, whatever it takes, I'll do it. Maybe he was running after a career. I'm chasing a certain position. Man, I'm trying to work myself up. I'm trying to work to the boss, the manager, the CEO, the owner. I'm trying to build an empire for myself within my career. I want to be the best uh, at what I do. Nothing wrong with some of those things unless they come before God. When you're running after them instead of running after God, running away from the Father. Maybe he was running away in addiction. He got out there. And he realized that he was in bondage, and the only way to fill that void, the only way to kind of numb that feeling of bondage was, I'm going to put something in my body. I'm going to drink. I'm going to do some drugs. I'm going to get the prostitutes. He's just running away in that addiction. Bottom line is, his running away was running away in sin. I don't know what it was exactly, but he was running away in sin, and he wasted everything. How many Christians get caught up running in sin, whatever that sin may be, and they slowly waste the blessings that God's put in their lives. They waste the good things that God's given them, whether that be maybe family, because they are chasing after that sin, they're running after that sin and sexual immorality, and it ruins a marriage, it ruins a family, it ruins relationships, it ruins their finances because they've, they've run after that addiction, they've run after those things. Uh, It ruins their friends, their good relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ because they've ran after that sin, right? The bottom line is he was running away and he was running towards sin, towards worldly living and not towards the Father. And so how many things can we waste that the Father meant for good when we are running after and running in our own sin? And so he was running. But then we see not only was he chasing freedom, he was running away, and he figured out, hey, this isn't freedom at all. I'm running away, and I'm running in my sin. But he hits rock bottom. Verses 14 through seven, or 16 says this, He had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he had went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Let me just go back for just a second. Think about this. He ran... He wasted everything, and it even took almost like a second running right there in verse 16. So he wasted the living. He wasted everything that his father gave him, the good stuff, the the blessings, the inheritance. And instead of then going back, maybe it wouldn't have been quite as bad if he would have been back then. What's he do? Verse 16, he still runs. He runs and runs again. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. So not only did he run away with the inheritance and waste it all, he then kept running and tried to partner up with the world, tried to partner up uh, with what it has to offer, and so he continues to run. But then, right here, he hits rock bottom, so that doesn't work for him. Now he's got him feeding swine, and it says in verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach 
with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. That's rock bottom. Willing to eat what the pigs eat. Uh, you guys heard Addie share it a couple weeks ago, our kids' camp week that we worked, the kids' camp pasture, right over off to the side, had a big uh, kiddie pool filled with slop, pretty much. And, man, it looks gross. It smells gross. There ain't nothing good about it. Uh, there's no way that I would want, or for sure not gladly, fill my stomach uh, with some pig slop, but I can just see it like this is rock bottom. Imagine how embarrassing, how desperate do you have to be? And I, maybe it just started off. He comes and he's dumping it to the pigs, and then he's getting hungry, desperate, miserable. And a few days, he just looks at the bucket. Ah, man, I'm hungry. Comes second day, throws it out, feeds the pigs, and then it turns into kind of looking around, and it's just a finger swipe. Oh, man, that ain't real good, but golly, I'm hungry. Before you know it, he's so desperate, he's hit such rock bottom that it's throwing it down there, and then maybe it's grabbing him a handful of it or a couple handfuls of it, and then eventually it's just I'm down there with him. Man, I got to get, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I need something to eat. I, this ain't good. It don't smell good, but hey, when you're hungry, when you're desperate, when you've hit rock bottom, you just need something. Right, and so he had hit rock bottom. He gladly would have ate with the pigs. He had ran to his wit's end. Just think, he left his father. His father was a place, his father's house was a place of provision. His father's house was a place of security. And he's left it. And then he wasted his inheritance. What little bit of security and provision he took with him, it's gone. And so now he's hit rock bottom. And then look at the last part of verse 16. And no one gave him anything. See, when you're out running with the world, I'm sure when he had all the money, all the inheritance, all the prostitutes, all the drugs, alcohol, whatever it was that they were doing, I'm sure he had lots of friends, lots of people over, lots of people that would uh, come and hang out, be a part of his company. But now, that's the thing about running with the world. When you find yourself at rock bottom... They don't care about you. When you find yourself at rock bottom, the world's just going to leave you there. Well, he'll figure it out. He'll find his own way. He put himself there. He can get himself out. That's what the world wants you to do. That's what the world tries to tell you. And sadly, there's a lot of people that sit in churches that feel the exact same way. There's not a whole lot of Christians that would go help someone that's hit rock bottom. I'm glad to be a part of a church that does. But he found himself at rock bottom and no one would help him. No one wanted anything to do with him. And so maybe today you've got yourself in a situation where you feel like you walked in here and you're rock bottom. You've ran. You've ran from the Father. You've ran from God. You've ran away from his provision, from his security, and you just have found, hey, I'm at rock bottom. You've wasted the good things that God's put in your life. You've wasted the good relationships, the good people that God's put in your life. You've hit rock bottom. Or maybe... Not even necessarily by your own doing, but you're in a situation, you're in a circumstance that's gotten you feeling like you've hit rock bottom. The one good thing about hitting rock bottom, and we see it from this story, sometimes it'll knock some sense into you. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, when we hit rock bottom, sometimes it'll knock some sense into us, and the only way to look when you're at the bottom is up. And so we see number four, the prodigal son, he returned. 
verse 17 through 21, I believe. It says, But then he came to himself, and he said, How many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare, and I sit here and perish in hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, he returned. He hit rock bottom. He came to his senses. Hey, you know what? That father's house wasn't so bad. I know when I was there, I thought I wanted better, thought I wanted more, but I figured out that is the better, that is the more. Hey, freedom out here ain't working because freedom out here is just bondage. I've messed up. I've sinned against my father. And you know what? I'm sitting here eating with the pigs, and my father has servants that are doing way better than I'm doing. I can just go. I can tell him I'm sorry. I can tell him I've messed up. I've done him wrong. And I don't need to, I don't need to be your son anymore. Just let me be your servant. Just let me be uh, one of your workers. Because a life as your servant is way better than a life out there in want and in desperation. And so he gets his idea and he's headed back. He returns. But then, man, there's a lot of good stuff on the Father, which maybe this is my little comeback tonight, and we're going to look at the attributes of the Father. Uh, <clears throat> so he returns. That equals repentance. He returns, and what's he say? Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I messed up. It's not just retur- returning. Repenting is not just coming back to church because you've been gone for a while. It's an attitude of the heart of I've messed up, Lord, I'm broken, I'm sorry, forgive me, and help me to come back. Help me to get back in the right spot. And so return equals repentance. He's messed up, he knows he's messed up, and he goes to the Father, and there he is. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but this is one of the good attributes of the Father. It's too good to leave out. We'll just get talked again tonight. Uh, verse 22, but the Father said, bring out the best robe. Put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us be merry. He doesn't even give him time to say, hey, just let me be, just let me be a servant. No, he cuts him off at, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Oh, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals, put it on his feet, kill the calf. We're going to rejoice tonight. See, when you return, you've been running, when you return, that equals repentance, you get to rejoice, and you get to rejoice with the Father, that is God. He rejoices when His children come back. He rejoices when His sons and His daughters come back. So today, uh, you may need to return so that you can rejoice with the Father. And when you come back, man, it ain't as a servant. He puts you right back in the same place that you left from. You're my son, you're my daughter, and you're going to stay that way. You get to go right back to the royalty as a son or a daughter of the Father. And so he puts him back, and the good thing about that is, hey, you get a robe. How many want you? You want a robe today? You want a ring? 
You want to ring today? Repent, return. What about some sandals on your feet? Man, he's going to dress you. He's going to take care of you. That provision and security is right back. He says return. That equals repentance. And when you repent, man, you get to rejoice. You get to celebrate with the Father because you're back. And he is excited that you're back. And so that's the prodigal. But remember, there was a second son. There was a second son. The prodigal, he wanted freedom, found more bondage. He was running to all the wrong places. And then he hit rock bottom, but he returned. And now he's getting to rejoice. We see the oldest son, he wasn't freedom he was looking for, it was fairness. Let's read verses 25 through uh, 30. Now his older son was in the field and he drew near their partying at this time. They're rejoicing that the son's back. He's lost and he was found dead as alive again. And he came, heard the music and the dancing. So he called to one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and he has received him safe and sound. And so your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. He would not go in. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as your son returns, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf. He wanted fairness. This is the life of comparison. This is the life that's just self-centered and self-focused. God, if I had only gotten what they would gotten, I would have done more. God, if you wouldn't have put me through this like you didn't put them through this, I would have been better. God, if you would have given me the gift that he had, I would have been able to do this with it. I would have had the platform that I wanted. God, if you would have given me the thing, the thing that she had, man, I would have been able to do more. It's the life of comparison. Constantly looking at other people's lives and thinking, God isn't fair. God, it's not fair that you blessed them with the, the gift of being able to sing. God, it isn't fair that you bless them with the gift of being able to preach. God, it isn't fair that you bless them with this and that. Because I've been so faithful. People that compare, they want to always talk about what they've done. Right? That's what he did. God, if only I'd got what they'd gotten. God, I've been so faithful here. I haven't missed church. God, I've done this and that, but they got the blessing. See, he should have been a 1 Corinthians 12 type of Christian, which is when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When we mourn, we all mourn. But when one is honored, one is celebrated, we all celebrate. See, he should have been excited about the return of his brother. He got a brother back. Instead, he ends up envious because his brother got better stuff than he got. He should have been celebrating with his brother, but instead he was complaining about his own personal problems that really weren't all that bad because the father told him exactly what was his. Son, all I got is yours. Right? You've got more than you even know. How many Christians struggle to celebrate the success of other Christians for just being jealous and envious because they don't have the gift, they don't have the platform, they don't have the same uh, influence, they don't have the same life that that person has. Right? And so... We're one body, 
we hurt together and we rejoice together. And the, the life of comparison, you are not going to find yourself rejoicing with other Christians much because you're constantly wanting what they got or wishing that they had your problems. They had what you got. And so he wanted fairness. The life of comparison, self-centered, constantly complaining that God hasn't been fair to them. He's put you in these tough situations, these tough things that he hasn't put other people in. We don't even ever know. Number two, he was caught in religious activity. One was caught running. The prodigal was running away. Right here we see the oldest son. He was caught in religious activity. The religious traditions of the world. Right? He kept a list. Look at here. Verse 29. Religious people keep lists. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed the commandment at any time, and yet you've never given me a goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as your son, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, comes, you've killed the fatted calf. See, religious people keep lists of all the rights and wrongs. Hey, God, I've done, I've been here, I've done this, I've checked off all the boxes, I've been at church, I haven't missed in six months, God, I haven't missed one service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. God, I haven't missed Sunday school in a year. God, I've served in the ministry, when they needed help in the kitchen, I was there. When they needed help in the nursery, I was there. When they needed help with sound, I was there. When they needed help in the kids' class, I was there. God, I read my Bible every day, checking off the boxes, right? God, I pray every day, multiple times a day. God, I'm there. He was doing all the things, but he was doing it out of duty instead of out of a devotion. It was with the wrong attitude. It was with the wrong heart. It was all work with no love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about that. goes down and has a whole list of things. Man, it doesn't matter if you prophesy. It doesn't matter if you uh, help others, serve others, all these different things. It doesn't matter if you do them. If you do them without love, it's in vain. It doesn't matter. And so that was the older brother. He was so caught up in just checking off the boxes. All right, I served you. I've done everything you've said, Dad. I've checked the boxes, I'm going through the motions, but there was no heart, no love in what he was doing. It was with the wrong attitude, it was with the wrong heart. And how many Christians do we have today? They come through those doors, they sit down, they say, God, I'm here, I attended church, that's what you want me to do. They'll come and they'll help put a tent up, they'll help serve at a basketball tournament, they'll help do certain things, but they do it with absolutely the wrong attitude. They do it with absolutely the wrong heart, and they do it with absolutely no love. And that's not what God called us to do. He called us to serve others with a love like Jesus. We're to have a heart for people. We do what we do. We serve in the ministry. We serve, we use our gifts wherever they fit because we love this church, because we want to see people come in and be saved, and because we want to do it with the heart like Jesus uh, and a servant Uh, as Jesus served. And so the Father wants you to get right. He wants you to get right to the back, back to the right attitude, back to the right heart. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just check off boxes. 
just because, hey, I know I'm supposed to do this. Uh, actually get in it, be intentional, do it with purpose, do it with the right heart, and you'll see a change. It won't be religious activity. It'll be that you're having an impact for the kingdom because God's lit a fire inside of you. And so he was caught up in religious activity, just checking off the boxes. But not only that, where the younger brother hit rock bottom, the older brother, he got bitter. Verse 28 said he was angry. And this is pretty simple. You can just follow the line of our points. First point was he wanted fairness. That was the life of comparison. When you constantly find yourself comparing your life to other people's, you're going to be pretty miserable. What was the second point? He was caught in religious activity. That was doing things with no, no love, right? When you find yourself constantly comparing to other people and constantly caught up in religious tradition of just checking off boxes, but you have no love in your heart for people, you're going to find yourself eventually bitter, whether it be at the church whether it be at a brother and sister in Christ or whether it be at God, you're going to find yourself bitter uh, because of what you've been doing. And so he ends up bitter. And we've heard it preached up here before. This, this is the sin of disposition. Disposition, that is bitterness, strife within the body of Christ, within our brothers and sisters. He's so mad. Again, he should be celebrating his brother's back. We can rejoice. We got a brother back. But he's so mad because I don't get a party. I don't get to be a part of anything that you've ever... You haven't done nothing for me. And so he gets bitter. He gets mad. He gets the wrong attitude, the wrong heart towards his brother. And again, be careful because before you know it, your bitterness towards your brothers and sisters can lead to bitterness towards God. And so someone in here, you may be bitter. You may be mad at someone uh, because of maybe something they've done to you, maybe something that God's done for them that He hasn't done for you. Don't be bitter. Celebrate with them. And you'll see as you celebrate and join in on their success, it might be that God sees your heart and He gives you the same thing. And so he got bitter. Then fourthly, where we've seen the young brother... Return, we see the older brother, he refused. Verse 28, he got angry and he would not go in. Would not go in to celebrate. His refusal equals rebellion, rebellion towards the Father, right? So we talked about the return equals repentance, which equals, hey, you're going to get to rejoice with the Father. He's going to clothe you. He's going to dress you. He's going to provide and get you back in your place of security. But this is the exact opposite. I'm angry and I'm bitter because you're treating my brother, my sister better than me. So I refused to be a part of it. But his father pleaded with him, come in. And he still wouldn't do it. And how many, just kind of the rebellion, rebellion against God is accepting and loving for all, right? We've talked about that. And anyone who doesn't accept someone who walks through those doors is just like this older brother. 
I don't like that person. I don't want that person sitting by me in church because they look different than me. I don't want that person sitting by me in church. I don't want that person in here because they talk different than me. Because they act different than me. Because they look different than me. Right? That's the attitude that this... Hey, his past... My brother's past, he went and squandered and ruined his, your livelihood. I don't want to be a part of a celebration of that. How many Christians sit in here because a person walks in and they have a past that may not look good, and it may you can see their past all over them by the way that they look in the present. We still got to be accepting of that. God wants them to walk through those doors, and so should we. God loves them. And so should we. God calls us to love them. And when we don't, we're rebelling against Him. We're rebelling against the Father because we ain't accepting. We won't rejoice in the fact that, hey, yeah, He looks different than me. She looks different than me. She talks or acts different than me. But she's here and she's come back. It doesn't matter what her past looks like. God accepts her. It doesn't matter what... She looks like God accepts her. It doesn't matter what he looks like, God accepts him. And so when we refuse to rejoice with our brothers and sisters over their successes and over the things that, hey, they've overcome their past, then we are rebelling against the Father. We're rebelling against God. And so as I close, Mike, you can come up for Song of Invitation. I mentioned it at the beginning. Commentators take both sides. This is a message for the Christian. This is a message for the lost. And it doesn't matter. If you were late, maybe you're here, and you've just been running after freedom, doing things your own way. Maybe you found yourself in a place of rock bottom. God's saying, come. He's saying return. To the Christian, he's saying return. To the lost, he's saying just turn. Just turn, repent, and come to me. He's here with open arms. Notice the father, man. He pursues the first son. He sees him and goes and gets him. God's calling to you. He's trying to come after you by way of Holy Spirit tonight. But then he also pleads. By way of Holy Spirit, he's saying please come. But maybe it is that you're not running. You're not looking for freedom and other things. Maybe you're like the second brother. Maybe you're here and you've been here and you've been involved, but it's been for all the wrong reasons. You're just caught up in checking off boxes. Your attitude's not right. You're bitter towards maybe the church, maybe someone in the church. Maybe you're bitter towards God, I don't know. He's saying the same thing to you. Hey, if you're a Christian, just come back. If you're lost and you've been sitting in here, just come. Okay, so everyone stand, heads bowed, eyes closed as we start the invitation. Father, I just ask that you would just have your way in this invitation. Father, I pray that your message would challenge and convict the hearts of your people. Father, and that we would respond in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, I love you, I thank you, I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want.